the 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. There we go, 4 o'clock hour, hour two of Cofield and Company. Heavy football hour, although we'll get into a weird story later on in the fat pack. Man, I've been really drunk before, but I've never swallowed this object. So that's coming up in about 30 minutes. Ari's here, Willie Ramirez, as well. Little UNLV football talk coming up in less than five. So a weird story came out over the weekend, quietly, that a longtime assistant with the Oklahoma football program, another one of the Gundy's kale, had been dismissed or walked from the program. He'd been with... uh, the Sooners for like 19 years, something like that. Yeah. And when I read it, I was like, this sounds fishy to me. This story is missing some details. Do you have the initial story in front of you? I just have the one that we shared. The, yeah, the, that's uh, it. Yeah. So what? So give the audience the details. So Kale Gundy, I mean, he's been there. He was the longest tenured football coach in the Big 12. He resigned last night saying that he read aloud, quote, a word that I should have never, should never, under any circumstance, have uttered off the screen of a player's iPad during a film session last week. So basically, he noticed a player, he was supposed to be taking notes during a film session and was distracted. So he picked up the player's iPad to read the words on the screen, whatever the guy was, the player was. Do you think he was like chatting with someone? I don't know. Maybe he thought he was on Instagram. Who knows? I don't know what he thought, but right. he was distracted and he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. So Gundy wrote in a statement, the unfortunate reality is that someone in my position can cause harm without even meaning to do so. In that circumstance, a man of character accepts accountability. I take responsibility for this mistake. I apologize. Now, in the moment, he just started reading aloud what was on the screen, didn't realize what he was reading, and as soon as he did... He says, quote, I was horrified. I want to be very clear. The words I read aloud from that screen were not my words. What I said was not malicious. It wasn't even intentional. Still, I am mature enough to know that the word I said was shameful and hurtful no matter my intentions. So he basically grabs the iPad. He says, what are you reading? And he goes through. And he says, which if you can sort of take from it. You could assume what the word is. I'm sorry. Did you read this part from Venables? Go ahead. Coach Gundy resigned from the program because he knows what he did was wrong. He chose to read aloud to his players, not once, but multiple times. A racially charged word that is objectionable to everyone and does not reflect the attitude and values of our university or our football program. So I'm guessing he dropped an N-bomb, but if he said he was horrified when he read it, why did he read, he it, read it multiple times? Listen. My guess is what happened here is he read it, some message, multiple N-bombs, trying to send a message, pay attention, who knows what else he read or said. They leave, and then this all starts to develop. This thing about I was immediately horrified, I'm not buying. And I will tell you, and again, this is this is unsourced, but... There is someone, where's my message now? I just lost it. Um, I think Gundy's wife is saying that Venables 
didn't want this story to get out initially. So she's accusing the program of being a little bit light on details of what really happened. Well, when he says he chose to read aloud to his players at not once, but multiple times, a racially charged word that is objectionable to everyone and does not reflect the attitude and values of our university. So he chose to read aloud the actual word. What I'm wondering is, and I'm just spitballing here because we don't know what he read from the iPad, right? We don't we don't know what it was. We just know it no. was something. Right. What if it was like what if this kid writes rhymes, writes bars, writes lyrics? What, or okay. what if what if he had a song up yeah. and it had the N with the A at it? So he said, Oh, let's see what you're reading. Let's see what you're doing. Let's see what what do you oh, you're a part time rapper or something, whatever. Who knows? Right. We don't right. know. What right. if it's a what if it's a Damon Arnett kind of guy or a Max Crosby kind of or Darren Waller who writes raps? And he's going, okay, let's see how good you are. And he started doing that and I would have a lot of money that's not the case, but I, that was entertaining. Okay. Well I I'm guessing he just he just read an angry message and read it verbatim and thought it was fine. Like, like and then an they left and, and then like they, a text message or yeah, something. Just having a conversation. And then left the room and they were like, what, what did he just do? Uh Kat Gundy is Kale Gundy's daughter. She said, interesting. About uh, Venables, you told your players to keep their mouth shut about what really happened and their heads down. She says the truth will always come to fruition. It's only a matter of time. Huh? So there's something deeper. Well, and this and isn't like the the biggest story ever, but it's very weird that a 19 year assistant at Oklahoma is gone. Um, and listen, if they want to keep it in house, they can do that. But it something happened beyond what they say. Definitely, happened. Like he, didn't, yeah. he didn't just stupidly read something. You know, go, go full Ron Burgundy. You know, well, Joe Mixon has come to oh, Joe Mixon has come to his defense. Demarco Murray has come to his defense. They have each issued statements. So yeah, you know, the flip side of it is that I, we weren't in the room. Maybe if we were in the room, we'd be like, well, I mean, all he was doing is angrily reading what someone was chatting about. I he probably shouldn't have, right? But yeah, you, know, you understand. Maybe I, I'd I'd like to see whatever the lack of focus was, what the situation was. So, but Oklahoma's chosen to get out in front of this, try to be quiet about it, and get rid of him. Yeah, if he, the, the, you're right on the part where you know if he was horrified the first time the word came up, then that should have been the last of it. It should have been the last of reading anything. But he went on to read this entire passage or message or whatever it may have been. May have been. And now that you're adamantly clowning my attack and saying it was just entertaining, I it was actually very good. I think it was a rap. I, you know what? I actually hope it's true that the kid had rap lyrics and this guy. I do too. Read, you know why? Because then we've set Ari up for a great promo. It, it could make for a great promo. Yeah. And this will be this will be right up uh, Adam Hill's alley, who's often the company because he believes you should be able to read rap lyrics, no matter who you are. Okay, no so, matter what it says. So, so let me. Let, where do you stand? So, if I so if you're in the car and you're listening to music by yourself and you're singing out loud, are you allowed to say anything you want? Yeah, I suppose. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm just asking you. Well, is someone going to get you on camera, like, and read your lips? I don't know. I'm just asking you. You said that because I, I assume that you had this conversation with Adam because you said Adam talking about We've singing, had it before. Singing lyrics. I can't remember what the conversation was, but people have gotten in trouble before, you know, out in public with offensive language yeah. in what we would call art. So the argument is you should be able to, no matter who you are, read the lyrics straight out. So I've not a debate that I care that much about, but I always find it interesting when Mr. Hill gets worked up about it. I've. 
put on my Instagram story while I'm lifting, whatever the music's playing in the background. And if 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 there's a swear word or the N word or something, I, I'm not editing it out. I don't have time. I don't for think all anyone's that. asking you to edit it out. No, I, yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm not yeah. answering to there, you. There there are a lot Adam. there are, there are a lot of times I'm at, at uh, Mountain West basketball games and I'm like, ooh, they left the language in. Yeah, pregame music. I'm like, oh, that's cool. It is what it is. It is what it is. I'm allowed to listen. It's part to of the art. Part of the art, yeah. At karaoke, uh, can you do Nine Inch Nails closer? I want to blank you like an animal because I know someone who does that song, and it often surprises people. I don't do it. My better half does it. And and, and is it is what it is. I think. You be, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I now I'm ready to go do rumbling and stumbling and bumbling. Now I'm ready to go do karaoke and pull up Snoop and Tupac. Let's go. Could you do it? Could I do it? Like, could I do it? Pull do it, it well? off and, and with some rhythm and some groove. I got flow, but could I do it? In I would probably crowd, be lambasted. Are you kidding me? If you did it well, you wouldn't get lambasted. Oh, okay. You'd be so, carried off so, like a hero. So if you're if you're clunky with your rap, yes. then you better not say any swear words or the n word. But if you got flow, you're good. I don't know. I don't know who's in the crowd. I don't know what the reaction will be, but then, it, it helps to do it well, yes. Well, yes, I, if you stink I, at I, it. I got, I got no problem with yeah, that. If you that, stink that, at it, I know thing. I got flow. So UNLV's got a, a real interesting mix of players here. They turned over the roster big time, right? They were close in six games last year, but they lost them all. Those eight, those uh, six games by eight points, they won two other games. They went two and ten. They were thin on depth. And I also think... As time has gone along here, Marcus Royo has talked a lot about culture and a winning culture. And I believe, like in the, you know, you bring up the prime case, Willie. San Diego State last year in games eight points or less, they were 6 0. UNLV in eight, uh, games eight points or less, they were 0 6. San Diego State wins games like that. And it's not a coin flip thing because they've done it for years. Like winning begets winning. Doesn't guarantee you a win, mm. but when you're down in a close game, guys seem to be more comfortable more confident, and UNLV was still a pretty young team last year. So they've actually brought in a bunch of dudes from other Power 5 programs, good, you know, solid winning programs. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, they wanted more playing time. Beyond that, they actually went to the City College of San Francisco, Juco, mm-hmm. and they brought in four guys. Linebacker Fred Tompkins, they have a long snapper, Bobby Navarro, Safety, Trent Holloway, and Jeff Weimer. He's a wide receiver. So Weimer is a Northern California guy. So when you talk to their players on offense, Weimer gets mentioned a lot. Really good hands guy. You can see him. He's in the slot. You know, we can go white to white and compare him to, like, you know, Wes Welker. But he's not Wes Welker because he's 6'2 and 215. So he's a big slot guy. But you can see in practice, he makes some pretty tough catches on throws that might not be great at times. So I, I will give everyone a little advice. Most of this stuff goes up at Steve Cofield and at ESPN Las Vegas. So Marcus Arroyo talked about bringing these four JUCO guys in and actually said, hey, even from JUCO, when you're when you're taking guys from a national championship program, they come in with a certain attitude, you know, a certain confidence. They know how to win. So we had a chance today to talk to uh, Jeff Weimer. Most of these are my questions. I think there's a Paloma question in here from Fox 5, Joe Arrigo as well. But it started out with, I think it was Joe's question about, hey, do you model yourself after an NFL receiver? Like, who do you like? An NFL receiver I'd like to replicate my game off is Devontae Adams. I think that everything he does, whether it's come off the ball with releases, 
um, making everything look like it's a vertical to his snap downs, catching the ball. Um, all around his receiver play is something that I look up to and love watching play and try and take something and add to my game. Um, as far as training, you know, we have Coach Krause who really demands a lot from us, which is great. Um, back home, I have, you know, coaches like Maurice Mann who's brought me up from a younger age, teach me, teach me the mentality of wide receiver play and work ethic and what that takes. Um, and even a coach that, uh, Coach Grant out of, uh, when I was at City, linked me up with Coach uh, Lavelle Hawkins. I really started getting me into the wide receiver play, going up to Stockton and uh, learning a new new way of playing receiver or a new philosophy that uh, I think demands the most out of myself. And, and wide receiver is all mentality. So um, as much, if I can take anything for, away from anyone that's great at what they do, that's what I'm trying to do. So um, all of them have helped me kind of get to where I'm at now. And what's great about them is they're pushing me and I'm pushing myself to keep you know, pressing forward. I think it's just morale. I mean, our receiver room, we're very close together and it's a lot of fun. When you have a close group like that, it's, I mean, you gotta wake up and be excited to go work with them guys. You know, we got guys like Seneca McKee, Kyle Williams, Ricky White. Like I wake up each day, you know, excited to go with them, you know what I mean? And go work. So uh, um, that's been been a great translation. And they also, you know, welcomed me in with open arms as soon as I got here. So it's been, been a lot of fun. Why did you pick UNLV? I picked UNLV because I, you know, I believe with what Coach Royal was saying and, and the standards that he was setting. Um, that's big for me is um, the standards you have not only in the wide receiver room but in the team. And uh, his standards were demanding of excellence and excellence and what it takes to win. And coming from somewhere where you do win, that's what um, I was looking for when I was going around looking, looking at schools. How did you wind up in uh, JUCO? You went to a different school than San Francisco, yeah, right? So and then you had a year off in between, right? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, everybody's got different backgrounds and stuff. For, but uh, for me, out of high school, you know, played at Salinas High School with Coach Zank. Loved it. Um, pushed myself real hard, but just wasn't good enough to, to make it out. So went to a junior college in my hometown, Con Hartnell Junior College. Had a couple good seasons there. Two seasons there. I got hurt the second season, uh, so I medicaled. Um, and similar thing, just wasn't good enough. Um, so, you know, you have to come to terms with that and learn, you know, all right, well, I got to push more out of myself and get myself to where I want to go. Um, and during that offseason, uh, Coach Collins and Coach Grant hit me up at City to come out. So that's how I ended up over there. So with City, uh, Marcus Roy was talking about, you know, kind of a, a winning attitude, a program, what you guys yeah. bring. Can you can you bring that from a junior college to a Division One program, an attitude, a winning Definitely. attitude? Yeah, I believe so because, uh, I mean, no matter what you do, if, if you're demanding the most out of yourself and the people around you on what it takes to win, um, I don't think it matters where you come from, who you are, anything. You know, that's what's awesome about football. If, if you're coming to help the team win and do whatever you can, then you can come in and help any way you can. And I believe, you know, coming from somewhere that demands excellence and winning, uh, coming here has been, you know, a great trend, you know, coming in smooth and then also demanding the same standards to the guys around us. What would you tell receivers who were in your position? You didn't have a Division One scholarship. Yeah. Seneca's from Erskine College. Yeah. I believe it's kind of, it's outworking anybody around yourself and demanding and getting the most out of yourself and being where your feet are. Because I've, I've gone through, you know, hardships just like everybody has. Um, but in those hardships, I learned that, all right, this is where I'm at. What can I do to get out of this right now? And this is where I'm at right now. I'm in junior college. Um, don't start worrying about where you're going to be because then you start not worrying about the day. All I did was worrying about each day, how do I get the most out of myself, my teammates, how do I help the team win, um, and trusting that and being confident and knowing that everything will happen out the way I know it will, um, but just continue to work my ass off and, yeah, and being in my feet. Jeff Weimer, one of the newer receivers in this rebuilt receiving core for the Rebels. 
Juco, along with three other dudes from the City College of San Francisco. Fred Tompkins, also from that school. We spoke to him today as well, and uh, Fred had quite the journey to get to UNLV. He played high school football at four different high schools. Had some, uh, was ineligible, uh, well, ineligible, yeah, had an uh, eligibility issues, uh, he was saying, at uh, one of the schools, but uh, the Juco route's a long route. It's a very, it's a very long route, and there's it ain't it ain't Division One from a facility standpoint, from a food and nutrition standpoint, and they've already got guys on this team, Willie, who came in as JUCOs, and really were probably long shots to compete at a high level, and they're some of the rocks on the defense. Like people forget, uh, Eliel Ahimere and Tavis Malaki is both were JUCOs. And they were like deep sleeper JUCOs, and they've turned into two of the most reliable guys in the middle of that defense. You brought up City College of San Francisco, JUCO. Do you know who he has something in common with? Your hometown hero. Well, before O.J. Simpson went to USC, two years at CCSF. That's a good point. Yes, it's a storied school for athletics. It is. It's, it's, you know, so, and you know, you talk about, well, when you, you know, coming from, can they bring that winning attitude? I don't know, but the lone major national championship, all due respect to the golf team and successful tennis players. And Larry Johnson came from Odessa, came from a junior college. I think the only difference is now we look at JUCOs as kind of, it's one of those last resort recruiting well, tools different and basketball, basketball back then. Yeah. JUCOs were still pretty big, but I get, I get your point. I get your point. The, the thing I really liked from uh, Weimer was he talked about the fact that he just wasn't good enough. He wasn't good enough after after high school. He wasn't good enough after uh, a couple of years at a at a smaller school. He had to get better. He stuck with it. And then the other thing I love, and this is for everyone, you know, most people listening right now have jobs, right? How cool is it to hear someone go, you know what? I love the people I work around, and I'm excited to come to work. Yeah. They get me fired up. And you, And here's the thing which we've been talking about, you've been talking about it longer than I have because, you know, you're an optimist in this situation. Um, glass overflowing on everything in sports. Uh, it's a reflection of the environment that Marcus Arroyo is creating. End of story. And hopefully leads to wins. And, yes. I, and I'm hoping that, because, that no, this it, dude can be a big contributor because... Uh, and I wanted to say something before... We have before, a lot of competition, a wide receiver. Before you went to the interview, I wanted to say something... Well, but I wanted to rem- remind myself to say something. When you said talk about San Diego State six and zero games eight or less, UNLV zero and six, winning breeds that it becomes infectious. It's only going to take one or two, and it starts with the right attitude, the right environment, the right encouragement, the right team, the right chemistry. It's only going to take a couple this year, and it will become infectious. And once they learn how to do it, guess what? It's going to happen. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Jameis went in today, we kind of tweaked his foot a little bit. He went in for some evaluation. I don't have any update on that, but it was kind of rolling out. I think it was in the seven-on-seven period that kind of felt it tweak a little bit, and, and so we wanted to go in and get him evaluated. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Former Raiders head coach, Dennis Allen. Saints coach now. Don't love that hire. I like Jameis Winston. You hear Allen there talking about an ankle tweak. I like Jameis Winston. I'm not sure how he comes back from the torn ACL and if he's going to be healthy. And there's so much on his shoulders. 
So I was thinking today, if Winston went down for a while, would that be a team to go out and finally grab Jimmy Garoppolo from the Niners? Because clearly the Niners, Willie, are just waiting. They're waiting for something to happen to another quarterback so they can get something decent for Garoppolo. Behind Jameis Winston is R, Andy Dalton, and Ian Book. Why wait to see if something – I mean, because in reality – when you have, you know, I mean, it's not it's not impossible to come back from, you know, it's it's just with what Jameis Winston does, it's the, that's going to be one of the premier issues. Unless, I mean, he's got to take a lot of recovery, a lot of proprioception work. It's it's hard to, you know, once you roll your ankle and you start d- down there, those are tough injuries. Not to recover from, but that you avoid um, repetitively doing it. So why not grab him and have him in, have him part of the rotation? I mean, we were just talking about. So that's a precarious position, is what you're saying. With now, if he's got a serious ankle, we don't know yet. Uh, but he's coming off an ACL. You've got Dalton behind him and Ian Book. You've got high hopes. I think I don't know. Again, I don't know why they hired a defensive guy. Everyone else is hiring offensive guys. The and I again, I know the easy answer is the division, but the Raiders and the Saints are both eight and a half win totals. The Saints, like this is a Jameis win. This might be the most pro Jameis Winston show outside of like Tampa and New Orleans. We love Jameis Winston. But eight and a half, and I know their defense is great. Alvin Kamara is not getting suspended this year. The NFL's just run out of time to get to watch the video of this alleged beatdown over at freaking, you know, outside of, or it was actually away from Dre's, I think, by the main uh, parking garage elevators where it were allegedly. Well, they're too busy doing Kamara Deshaun and, and company beat. They can only handle one case at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what if Kamara gets suspended? What if that comes down right before the season? He's out six games, eight and a half win total. Well, I got news for you. With with what I'm reading here and with that situation, might as well jump on the under now. Hey, just have the ticket ready. Have it. Because, again, I just don't know. It, it's, it's just eerie to think, you know, if you're coming off ACL – and he's rolling his ankle. It, I want to know why there's no stability. It comes back to, you know, stability in your lower extremities. It comes back to how did he recover and what sort of um, PT did he go through and what sort of training did he do? You know, it's like it's like we heard from Josh Jacobs when he was talking. We don't know what was wrong with him, and he just he answered Adam Hill and he was in uh, when during his media availability a couple weeks ago. He was just like. I just want to get my body right. So whatever the little tweaks and bumps and bruises and aches and pains and sprains and bruises, whatever it was that he was going through, he was going through a complete recovery process, which is which is a whole thing. It's more than just lifting weights. It's more than doing PT. It's a collection of things. I have to wonder, why did he roll his ankle? Was it a fluke thing? Was it something that could be tied to, like I said, proprioception work, which comes with recovery from Ligament damage, everything from the knee down. So if it's going to be an ongoing thing after his ankle heals, it, it's still. I mean, look at what Robert Griffin, or right when he RG three, he was never the same after the first injury. So it's 
I, I it wouldn't. I mean, it wouldn't be. Uh, might be smart to just grab Garopp if you can get him. Giveaway time, 364-1100, we got a show coming up this Saturday at the MUA, McUltra Arena, AXS.com, is where you get your Rob Zombie tickets with Mudvayne and Powerman 5000. Pair of tickets right now, caller 7, 364-1100, Finley Toyota, they'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. Now, back to Cofield and Company. John now just keeps coming Willie when does it stop my dearest Olivia you made all of our lives so much better your impact was incredible I love you so much we will see you down the road and we will all be together again yours from the moment I saw you in forever you're Danny you're John that was John Travolta oh really yeah that was nice I thought you wrote that no Nope. I just, Greece, happened, I just right? happened to see that. Yeah. Greece. That was, that was, uh, it wasn't the first movie I saw, but it's like one of those first ones that stand out. Like when you think back to movies as a kid, like in the 70s, like I remember seeing Bad News Bears, like the original Bad News Bears at the Parkway Theater on Maryland. But I remember my mom taking me to see Greece. And getting home at the Palms Apartments, getting out, and the neighbor was asking. And my mom said, we just went to go see Greece," And I dropped to my knees like Danny did in the last scene and reenacting that that whole kind of thing. However old I was at that, what was that, 78? So, yeah, that was, uh, I can't remember. That came up while we were in the Raiders media room. Somebody said that. We were all, we were all kind of shocked. What a bummer. Yeah. That's like for the, uh, for people in our age group. That would be uh, maybe one of your early crushes. Yeah, that was along the day, along the lines of you know the like d- during the same time as the uh, the Farrah Fawcett poster, right? Love, the char- love that poster. The char- the Charlie's Angels, mm. Suzanne mm. Summers, the Three's Companies, you know the that whole era. And but Olivia Newton John was different because you know, and you had and the thing is is she she gave two entirely different looks in that movie. That that sort of sucked you in, you know the the Sandy, and then the that last scene where Frenchie helps her get Danny by dressing up like one of the the pink ladies and being one of them. So, yeah, that was uh, when did Greece come out? I think it was nineteen seventy eight. Seventy, I believe seventy eight. Yeah. Trying to do the quick math on uh, Olivia and John. So what, nineteen forty nine? 73 years old. Didn't look 73. She could still sing. She's 29. Is that right? She's 29 in that movie? 
Livy Newton-John? I think Frenchie was like 45. Livia Newton-John was born in 1948, so she would have been about 30. Wow, okay. Looked a lot younger. Playing a high school student. Nice. Yeah. Watch Xanadu if you want to watch something wacky. That song, that movie, they tried. It's different. Your Uncle Paul know Olivia Newton-John? Paul Anka? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So, Later so, in life or early? Uh, I'm sure throughout. I'm sure, I mean, I mean... People know who he is, obviously, but I don't know if they were ever how close they were or if they, you know, I'm sure that they crossed paths. But, you know, over the years with Instagram and Reels and TikToks, certain songs get out there. The old school, the girl, the young females, they'll tweet old black and white music videos saying, you know, wish I could go back to a time like this. And, and my uncle, there's a couple of songs that would get out there. Puppy Love, and then you hear Put Your Head on My Shoulder, and all of a sudden, a TikTok craze went on put your head on my shoulder and there was different TikTok challenges with and they would do these different I, I don't even know I don't even know how to do the TikToks but anyway put put your head on your sh- shoulder almost had like a reboot through TikTok so being the marketing genius that my uncle is and he's always regenerating things like right now he's got the Anka sings Sinatra tour, where he's basically taking all the Sinatra songs that he's always sung in his show, just moved them to the front of the show, added a couple more, and now it's a Sinatra tour, but he's still doing the exact same show. So what did he do? He took the put your head on your sh- put your head on my shoulder TikTok craze, re-released it on a on a on a new CD, and I believe it was called Silhouettes. And he and he had been doing this. He was one of the first ones to ever do duets albums, but he did a duet with Put Your Head on My Shoulder with Olivia Newton John. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. All right, let's do a check in on a Monday. World of Sports Gambling, John Von Tobel, VSIN, part of Cofield and Company, at times part of the press box. What's up, John? Not much, guys. What's happening? What's yeah, up, right? John? You uh, rehydrate from uh, when did you guys play golf with your uh, VSIN Classic? Uh, it was yesterday. Yesterday, I over, uh, out at Prim. Uh, that was the second time in my life that I've played a full 18. So wow. I've been practicing uh, quite a bit over the last few months to try to get ready for it. Um, and I have to say, I think about like the sixth hole after I uh, like just chunked a shot. You know what I mean? Mud flying everywhere and frustration boiling to the point where I wanted to snap the club over my knee. I was like, this is so much fun. I'm, I'm dehydrated. I'm angry. Uh, but no, I had a lot of fun. By the time it was all over with, I looked back on it fondly, despite the sunburn on the back of my neck. I, uh, I saw somebody tweet about it, and then I replied to Matt, and I said, is Billy Walters invited? And he said... Billy Walters is always invited if you would like to join him for a foursome, but I can barely play miniature golf, let alone regular golf. So that would never happen. All right, stunned disbelief. Stunned disbelief. John, was anyone good? Um, so there were quite a few people that were good there. Matt always partners up with a guy named Joel, who uh, I and I'm, I'm gonna. He is a Las Vegas guy, I believe, so maybe he's listening. I don't know. And maybe he can correct me on this if I run into him again. I think Joel either had like time on the Corn Ferry Tour or played a couple of PGA events. <laughs> and he's a pretty good golfer. Okay. Um, ringer. Yeah, well, yeah. And then so but my ringer was my buddy Kevin, who is a, a fond listener of your show, Cofield, oh, nice. who was a, a golf coach over at Faith Lutheran. And he actually won the long, the long drive uh, on one of the holes. 
Uh, he was my ringer, so we ended up finishing two over. But there are a couple of parties that finished. I think the winner was like seven under, something like that. Wow. Um, and I believe that was Matt's group. So there were some good golfers out there. We finished two over, and I think last place finished eight or nine over, something like that. How many side bets were going on? Uh, I mean, in our group, not much, just the just the group we were head to head with. Uh, but I am assuming uh, that throughout the entire day, when there were a lot of betters on the course, uh, that there were probably quite a few, uh, Willie, that I was not privy to. Huh. I like that. I like that uh, Matt and John, who do a show together right now, um, have some camaraderie off the air. We were just talking about uh, one of the new receivers, John, for the Rebels, UNLV football, Jeff Weimer, and he was talking about what, how much fun he has because the room is competitive and they're all pulling for each other, the wide receivers, and that it's fun to go to work every day. I mean, Matt and I hate each other off the air. So, right. you know, we barely speak and he curse I, each other. I don't and... believe that's the case. <laughs> Is it let, the same? Let John finish, please. Okay, go. Uh, but, no, I, I think you're right. And, I, I mean, making the serious turn on this – uh, for the Rebels, it does seem like wide receiver is probably the deepest room in terms of the positions. And if they're all fighting with one another, but at the same time, there's some camaraderie there to maximize that skill position, which seems to have a lot of talent this year, would be a very good thing for a team that is looking to sort out who it's going to be a signal caller. So I would say, yes, it's a very good thing to have camaraderie. Although, as Matt Humans famously says, uh, he does not have a best friend. He has about 20 to 25 people who are all on the same level with one another in terms of friendship. Are they good friends? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Like good friends or just friends. He refuses to call anybody his best friend, though. Will you call a good friend to help you move or take you to the airport or pick you up? Uh, no, because I would never mm -hmm. want them to ask that of me. Oh. So that's that's how I would operate. I, we're good friends, so you would never call me to do those terrible things. Thus, I would never call you to do those terrible things. What kind of camaraderie do you expect to come from the Cofield & Company flag football team? Well, none, because I think that Cofield & Company is notoriously fickle when it comes to committing to things outside of the show itself. So I don't think it will ever come together. I, I am totally down with it, Willie. I really want it to happen. As you know, I've been uh, working my butt off to get into shape here. So by the time the fall, you know, actually, no, it would be the springish football season comes around, I'm ready to go. Uh, but I'm not sure if the rest of the company members feel the same outside of Caleb and yourself. John Von Tobel, VEASAN is with us. So, John, earlier we are talking to uh... – the guy who gives no Fs, Dave Koken, he delivered, as always, when Willie asked him about the Padres and the Dodgers, he was like, eh, what's the big deal? They lost three games. Um, there is something weird about this Padre group, and Manny Machado's reaction afterwards, I understand that's kind of what you're going to do, you know, cover for your team, although saying, you know, I'm confident we're fine because I'm effing Manny Machado. Okay, Manny. What are you going to do with the Padres the rest of the way, if anything, on a betting front? You know, I, I kind of want to consistently play against them potentially, Steve. Like, here's the thing. So, like, we even look at, like, the last game between the Dodgers and the Padres. And this isn't so much like a, hey, what's going on behind the scenes, the clubhouse and all that stuff. From a betting perspective, the Dodgers only closed, like, minus 130-ish against the Padres in that last game, right? I think it was you uh, Darvish, who who got the star for either Clevenger or one of the – yeah, it was Darvish. Um, like, that's a cheap price for the Dodgers at home against really any opponent. And for me, it's just more of the market perception and how the market is, like, wildly high on the Padres since the trade deadline. I mean, even look at their the series right before they played the Dodgers. They were playing the Rockies. You know, they closed minus 270, minus 290 in the last game, and Joe Musgrove got the start. They lost that game, 7-3. to three. I just feel like the market might be just a little out over its skis here from a price perspective on the Padres. And then we look at today, it's Alex Wood and it's Blake Snell. In some spots, they're as high as minus 185, so an implied probability of essentially 65%. 
And I get that the Giants, look, they they they, they didn't clear out. They didn't fire sale. But they shipped off uh, some offensive production at the trade deadline. So you wonder if that's going to be a little bit of a mess for them. But if you look, Alex Wood, 442 ERA on the surface doesn't look great. But a 351 fielding independent, if there is a pitcher that you were going to ask to keep you in a game here for the, the Giants, it would be Alex Wood against Blake Snell. I just feel like these prices are a little out of whack. Like the Padres are being priced by the market like a team that is almost on the level of the Dodgers, just like one notch below. And I just don't believe that to be the case. And so I think I'm going to look to play against them more often than not on the stretch. Week zero, college football, 19 days away. So let's get the juices flowing for people out there who are casual college football fans, haven't really started thinking about it. The Heisman odds have been up for a long time. C.J. Stroud is the favorite. The Ohio State quarterback at 2-1. to one. Bryce Young, Alabama quarterback, is plus 425. Locked in the spot for sixth. And it depends on where you shop. The book I'm looking at right now has 25 to 1. Could a defensive player win this? Will Anderson, Bama linebacker, could he win it? It seems like that there, there's a lot of support for this, and this was early, right? Like, if you're, we're talking about the people who bet this, the people who bet this got this more in the a much better number of where it's currently at right now. So I think. When we're talking about this now, this is not to tell anybody to rush out and bet Will Anderson at 15-1 to 1 to win the Heisman. This is more of a really fascinating storyline now to follow as we head into college football season. The outside linebacker for Alabama, a fantastic edge player who is arguably going to be the first pick in the NFL draft when he comes out. He has a very good opportunity here to potentially win the Heisman, and that's kind of the big push here from a lot of sharpish bettors out there who are betting into this market, especially at some longer odds. Anderson's a fantastic NFL prospect, and he's playing on a defense that is loaded, and he's their best player. He plays a glamour position for defense, right? He's going to be able to get sacks in an explosive plays on a team that is, some people think, three, four, five points better than the next best team in the country, uh, and that would be Ohio State. So there's a real opportunity here for Will Anderson to make his way as a defensive player. Almost like, I mean, I go back to like Ndamukong Sue, right? Like that year Ndamukong Sue for Nebraska, he was incredible. And he still ended up winning the Heisman, but he almost single-handedly led the the uh, Huskers that year to a conference title. This could be the same thing for Anderson, except leading the Alabama Crimson Tide to a national title. So I'm really intrigued by this. Again, if you're getting 15 to 1, that is not a number that's worth betting on at this point right now. But I think from a storyline standpoint, since this has arguably just become a quarterback slash running back award with a wide receiver sprinkled in every once in a while, if Will Anderson can legitimately pull this off, I think this is going to be fascinating to track for him as we move on throughout the regular season, you know? NFL futures. Patrick Mahomes in uh, his three full seasons, he had a fourth, but he only played 14 games. His three full seasons has never thrown for less than 47 40. 37 touchdowns. Someone outside of Kelsey, someone a wide receiver, has to catch these passes. What can he do with guys like Juju, MVS, Mecole Hardman, and then there's Sky Bolt, the rookie. Sky Bolt? Is that his that, nickname? That's the, uh, that's the A's outfielder. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sky Moore. Sky Moore? Yes. Too many uh, well, skies I thought, in I my mean, head. Sky well, Bolt, it could have been. Sky Bolt uh, sounds faster as a receiver. Sky Moore can be pretty good. I though. thought that you were giving him a nickname. Well, that's what I thought too. I thought that maybe people were calling him, and I thought Soren like gave you the nickname. No, um, no, no. no. <laughs> Oops. Uh, so uh, no, I like Dramatic Sky Moore a lot, and I, I think I told you guys like last week or the week before that I bet Sky Moore to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, and I I thought I hit it out of the park. I got him a fourteen to one. It's the number the circuit was offering, and you you look around at other shops like nine to one, ten to one in other jurisdictions. So I'm like, cool, I feel really good about this. Uh, even Station Casinos opened him up fourteen to one, got down to nine to one. 
So it felt good about the number. So yesterday, uh, right, we're talking about the golf tournament. So part of the th- cool thing with the golf tournament was uh, at some of the different spots, right, when I say like my buddy won longest drive, for example, he won a Raiders to win the AFC West ticket and a, uh, gift, t- a gift certificate to uh, you know, the PGA Pro Shop. So there were different futures tickets we were giving out yesterday. One of them was a Sky Moore Offensive Rookie of the Year ticket at 20 to 1 mm. over at Westgate. Uh-oh. So it's just, it is always a tale that you always, I thought that I had done my due diligence and it slipped my mind to check. And somebody might think, hey, what's the difference between 20 and 14 to 1? Again, it's just a, a thing. You always want to shop around, get the best number possible for yourself. Because if Sky Moore does hit and he wins Offensive Rookie of the Year like I expect him to, uh, one of the two tickets that I have for Offensive Rookie of the Year in that market, uh, I, I might be kicking myself because I could have gotten 20 to 1 if I had just looked around and found that the Superbook was offering him at 20 to 1. But if you like something out there, it's kind of ad nauseum. I think a lot of people are like, I've heard it before, but it's really important. You can find really good numbers out there. You just got to start to do your due diligence and look around. And I, I missed the boat on this one. John, we've been talking uh, futures with win totals throughout the show. We hit on a couple other teams, and I was comparing, contrasting to the Raiders. So, how about this? The Raiders are 8.5. The Vikings, who are in this week, are 9. The Saints and your guy, Jameis Winston, we talked about him earlier because he rolled his ankle. ankle Raiders, Vikings, and Saints are about the same team? Do you believe that? No. I would say that if I'm ordering them, I think I think I would say that the if I'm ordering them, I'd go Vikings, Saints, and Raiders. But like, but keep in mind, like, I don't think there's much separating them. But I do think that those would be the degrees of separation, like especially for a team like the Vikings, who I'm pretty high on coming into this year. You know, I have a bet on them to win the NFC North um, over the win total, a small ticket on Kevin O'Connell to win coach of the year. Like, if you looked at what the Vikings failed to do last year, like through the first 11 games of the season, having a lead of seven or more points in the first 11 games, the first 11 games, first team to do that and still come out with a losing record at five and six. A new coordinator, a new offensive mind in O'Connell, who is going to come in there, run more three wide receiver sets, maximize their offense, make it a little bit more 2022 than, you know, 1982. I think this is a team that's got some real upward mobility. And you look at Kirk Cousins, statistically was a top five quarterback last year. And, you know, we can get into the performances in primetime games and whatnot, but still, I think it was 33 and seven, a turnover worthy play rate of just about 2%. He was really good last year. And so when you look at the Vikings, I think they would be better than them. And I think when you look at New Orleans, and this is the interesting part between New Orleans and Las Vegas, I wouldn't quibble with you swapping either spot. Because I think if you look at the Saints, they're clearly the better defensive team. But when you look at the Raiders, they clearly have the better upside offensively. So whatever you value more in today's day and age, I think that you could look at either and say that I think that team is better. For me, the difference would be that the the Saints have Jameis Winston, who last year put together some pretty good performances and could actually work out and thus give them a baseline of production on offense while having one of the best defenses in the NFL. So I think they are the slightly better team, if that all makes sense. John, you've got 30 seconds to defend Kevin Durant asking out. He wants the coach fired and the GM fired, and then he'll stay. The coach that he picked. Like, how do, how do you defend it? Like, I'm super pro player, but I don't I don't know what to do anymore with things like this. So I don't think there is really any defense. You wanted the guy, and a year late, a year later, two, a few years later, you want him fired. I just don't really get it. Travesty. What do I do with my nets? Who do I side with? Who do I side with? Because I kind of feel desperate. You know, without Durant, they're. Can they be competitive? Yes, but they're not a championship team unless they rob someone. Right. I'm screwed. All right, John. We appreciate it. John, uh, tell everyone uh, about your Sunday show before you get out of here. Uh, Sunday, what's it called? Uh, three to five, football betting guide, getting ready for the football season. <laughs> right. But fall fall lineup's uh, changing here soon. So, what? Uh, might have some new information coming down the pipe in the next few weeks. Is that right? 
Oh. I don't know for sure yet, so don't quote me. We have some big changes. All right, Ari's uh, putting a flash sign up. Goodbye.